Algar Productions. Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 289, covering Gravity and Bliss with Mark Bosco. Hi, friends. Hello. It's us. It is us. Atomic Horror folks. And Bob's here. He's one of us folks. Hello, Hello, Robert. I am also a folk. Yep. This is the best intro we've ever done. I mean, in the list of intros, it has to be. Well, it's better than last week when Tidro just giggle pussed things off. That was that was the best intro. <laughs> that that intro. probably was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I left myself a note, and I want to remember now because I definitely am not going to remember as we get into talking about Voyager. Uh, a week or two ago, when our pal Irish Gav was on, we alluded to the fact that uh, Matt and I would be recording the finale for Drunken Time Travel with with uh, English and Irish Gav, and that we did true. that, and they released it. Yep, it is out now. Yay. Um, their their uh, hasty <laughs> coverage of all the other classic doctors for and uh, then there were some other Doctor Who's yeah uh, let's cover everyone from one to three in great detail and then four through eight in an hour with two guys who don't know anything about Doctor Who that oh, is wow. correct <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a delight and and I feel like it was probably entertaining and uh, it's available now mm-hmm. so if you want to check that out it's at drunkentimetravel.com. Um, we love those guys we will still be yep. doing uh, periodic meetups with them to review other things just because yes, we enjoy their company we can't not do that like yeah mm-hmm. it, they might not be crossovers anymore because there's nothing to cross over with but we'll still have them on and talk about i feel like our show just week. ate their show <laughs> that could be that that could very easily be but uh in in any event you know what they uh, say we, there's always a bigger podcast <laughs> <laughs> not bigger than us has anyone else covered more star trek than us at this point i that is the one thing say what you will about your star trek podcast we've covered more star trek than you i mean there might be i i'm just not aware of them no well if there is <laughs> someone let me best. know so we can destroy them i'm not saying best i'm saying like most you're, no you're but we did we did put the work in yeah, we've we're like at the I checked recently, like at the 80, 85 percent mark mm-hmm. of all Star Trek, not counting Discovery yet because it doesn't exist yet. But that'll knock us back. A yeah. Little. Take that rod. Roddenberry. <laughs> yes. Well, for so many reasons. Yes. Uh-huh. Rod quotes Rod. <laughs> That's the guy. You know, Rod Roddy. <laughs> rod right. Roddy Piper. No, he's not very rowdy. No. Is the thing. I would fight him in an alley for an hour, though. Oh, man. In a minute. For an hour. For those cool glasses? Yep. yep. No, just, just to fight him. Oh, okay. <laughs> just for all the terrible quotes in in the um, in those uh, oral history books. 50-year mission books. Yeah, thank mm. you. I always forget the title because I also read These Are the Voyages around the same time, and I, they both are very similar books. See, you're lucky because I just keep a copy by my in my to-read stack next to my desk, and ah. I'm never going to get around to reading it, so it'll always be here. <laughs> so you know exactly which one it is. Yeah. All right. So anyway, let's let's press into these press into these episodes. Let's That's press the, the digitation. Say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you about the first of the one word title episodes. Right. Gravity. We open with a scene that's not aboard Voyager, but before my eyes can complete an even full rotation, I realize this is a character building flashback and not some mind blowing bullshit. Furthermore, it's a flashback to Tuvok's early years on Vulcan as he trains to shed his complicated adolescent emotions. That's code for boners. <laughs> Flashing to the less boner-inducing present, we catch up with Tom in a crashed shuttle. 
A cute but tough young lady in a practical desert wrappings raids the direct shuttle for what she can salvage, presumably so she can exchange it with Simon Pegg for one quarter portion. <laughs> then she's ambushed by some nasty looking aliens and rescued by Tuvok, who takes their stuff back, gives her medical assistance, and just is a generally better dude than Paris. We knew this already, but it's nice to be reminded occasionally. <laughs> the three of them, and occasionally the doctor when they can spare the power to run his mobile emitter, work together to survive on the hostile planet, and the young lady, whose name is Nos, starts falling in love with Tuvok. But he is, of course, married, and also he has his complicated emotional shit under control because that's what Vulcans are all about. A fact that a few additional flashbacks remind us of. Again, we knew this already, but it's not bad to be reminded. Meanwhile, back on Voyager, a bunch of technobabble essentially boils down to the planet that Tom and Tuvok are stranded on is caught in some weird gravity thing that makes time pass differently for them, so they think they've been down there for a few months, but to us it's only been a couple of hours. Finally, they manage to get a message to their guys and coordinate a rescue effort. Nos sacrifices her life to ensure that they get home safely, except somehow, defying all formulaic expectations, she actually doesn't die and escapes right along with them. Voyager takes her home, and Tuvok shares one final mind meld with her before she leaves, so that she can truly understand what his deal is. Oh man, she thinks as she beams back home. You actually shared a body with Neelix? I'm glad we never hooked up. <laughs> Ew. Ugh. Yeah. Can she, you imagine? Gah. She did get to meet Neelix inexplicably. I'm here oh, yeah. too! At the end, would you like oh. would you like to talk about food? The only thing I know about. I, I love that he got up in full makeup for just like fifteen seconds of screen time. Mm -hmm. Maybe they hated Ethan Phillips and just wanted to torture him with that. <laughs> Come on, you coming to work? But I'm not in this one. Oh, you are now. <laughs> we wrote you a scene. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! My spare time. <laughs> there, there it is. There's that, that in a while. Yeah. yeah, bringing it back. <laughs> uh, so what? What did this I, is. A pretty like this one. as far as yet another episode where the where somebody crashes a shuttle on an where alien Tom, planet. Let's be clear, where Tom crashes a Tom planet. crashes a shuttle. Mm -hmm. Like this is a pretty good one, you know. It looks. I mean, this is your good thing, right? It looks amazing. I, they went on location, and they they went on the same location that they went on fifty times in the original series that we pointed out a lot. Mm -hmm. Vasquez rocks, you know the uh, the Gorn <laughs> the Gorn yeah, planet, the big Gorn rocks. <laughs> yeah, but. It just, it makes such a huge difference to me. Like, most of this episode takes place on the planet they're stranded on, and I believe the sort of barren conditions so much more when it's not paper mache rocks mm -hmm. and yeah. the same, like, five feet of horizon. And yep. you like, get that super bright sunlight and just, you yeah. know, the whole character of the shoot looks different. Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. they, they do that that lighting, or maybe it's a post effect. You would know, Bob, probably, like how they make it look just really washed out and super bright and just... Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they're just overexposing a little bit, but mm. a lot of it is just that it's sunlight, and it's just, right. you know, it's way mm -hmm. brighter than any human-built lights. Well, yeah, <laughs> but we've also been on that location many times over the course of various Star Trek, sure. and, like, they shot it a little differently. It, 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 it gives the subconscious effect of making it seem hotter and less, like, yeah. habitable, which yeah. I like. Yep, yep. And Voyager's done that a few times, and I just it's a it's a simple it's a simple camera trick, but, <laughs> but I like it. And, and the camera reached over and grabbed my balls. <laughs> <laughs> but it just I it, love you, Coco. <laughs> it just made this work so much better for me that they were in a real place, and the, the scenery changed from time to time. They weren't just shooting in one tiny corner of it; like they they wandered around it a little. It felt mm -hmm. kind of expansive, yeah. and and they they're shooting in a different part of that area that's not you know exactly the same part that we've seen in yeah in that other, famous outcropping yeah yeah exactly <laughs> in the Gorn fight or whatever yeah, although also, it did, did kind of look like the uh the same part of it that they used for uh galaxy quest oh, oh i can Rock see that yeah i haven't seen in galaxy quest enough times to, to commit it to memory but uh, quite possibly did they actually it, shoot that part of galaxy quest in that like area yeah because that's really cool 
Yep. <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing they would have done, mm. definitely. Yeah, that's my third favorite Star Trek film. <laughs> <laughs> Is Master and Commander one of them? Because that's another thing people say. That's, uh-huh. that's no, their favorite Star Trek be, film. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, look, I'll give you Galaxy Quest, but I feel like if it's your favorite Star Trek movie, it needs to take place, you know, in the stars. <laughs> and not on a boat. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, they got that, you know, uh, Kirk, Spock, Bones vibe going yeah, on. Yeah, that just that. means they made a really great naval movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a Star Trek movie. In the first place, but anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, but no, I actually quite like this episode. Like, mm-hmm. There's It hit a lot of things that I like. In an episode, I, it was a character piece, but we had an interesting science thing, but we didn't dwell too much on the science yep. thing. And I like the guest star and I just I, I quite enjoyed it. The reveal yeah. that Tuvok had like these huge emotion problems when he was a kid, like he just didn't want to do the whole Vulcan emotion purging thing is really interesting. And it's something that's never come up before. We haven't actually seen what they go through, like they're they're more intense emotion purging training. Mm. And I, I, mm. I like seeing that aspect of this of the culture that we yeah. haven't seen before. Bob, you weren't quite so crazy about all this stuff, Yeah, were you? well, I I think I liked it more the second time I saw it, but I kind of felt, to some degree, it, it almost felt like padding, going back to this, uh, him as a youngster. and I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Like, yeah, it was, which is kind of a nitpicky bad thing, I guess, but it was, I it kind of felt like we only learned one thing, was that, oh, he had some emotions, and then he had to get, get control of them. And that was it. And there wasn't much in the way of character development going all the way back there. And for for it being like at least uh, 12 minutes of mm. the episode is that flashback. And it feels like it, it just felt like we didn't learn enough for the amount of time it took up. I learned that it's really easy to get Tuvok's goat. You just say that the girl he has a crush on might have a crush on someone else. Yeah. L- liar. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I am. I just told you I was about to start lying to you. No, you the thing, yeah, he said, he said, what if I told you <laughs> that this? What? No. What, what if I told you? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, the th- thing this is, didn't happen. I oh, know, I don't know that it exactly taught us anything about him. It, it just more. It's kind of a thing we probably assume happened, but never actually saw. And mm-hmm. I just I found it interesting because I like Tuvok. I like the guy mm-hmm. that cast as young Tuvok. I like the teacher. I really like when Vulcans are represented as we have too many emotions and we need to get our shit under control. And the teacher understood that. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't that other kind of Vulcan we see sometimes, which is just the completely not sympathetic, just fuck Dick. you, you need no emotions. Like, no, he understood. He's yeah. like, dude, you're a teenager, you got raging hormones, but you got to calm down. Being a Vulcan is about getting that under control. Mm-hmm. And wow, I, I like that. I, I got a different vibe from the teacher altogether i felt he was pretty condescending to tuvok at times really? wow yeah. i didn't only because i expected him to be the really wooden vulcan that i've seen in other star trek stuff I, i'm the probably grading on a curve what's that <laughs> the enterprise vulcans I, a lot from enterprise yeah i think i think we've seen him in other modern stuff but i can't remember that that would mm-hmm. enterprise is definitely the jerkiest vulcans i don't yeah, know sure. maybe i was just in a bad mood when i saw this and <laughs> you put in your notes that you you had a couple of drinks before you started the first time well but... that's true too i mean when i do that it usually makes me like the episode more yeah <laughs> i see i would i i don't drink anymore but when i did i think i would have gotten more bored mm-hmm. <laughs> well maybe that's why i was angry at it that could <laughs> oh this is boring get back to them on the rocks yeah <laughs> Well, I want more rocks. When, we, when they went back to Voyager, even, I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this. Just go back to the guys on the that are well, stranded. And this is my bad thing. And I, I apologize here because I got a little rant, you guys. Like, right. I didn't want it. I, my, my bad thing is almost as long as my 
summary. <laughs> Hang on. I, you start talking. I'll go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I've been, I've, I've been struggling with this since we started Voyager because there's something that really bugs me when Voyager is bad, like when it does stuff I don't like. And I don't want to come on the show every week and say this one was boring. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like people listen to this podcast because they want to hear us talk about why. Like, just saying it's boring is not critical analysis. It's mm-hmm. just saying you're bored. That's not right. the same thing. Like, it's because they explain things so much whenever there's some big high concept idea, which I liked in this case. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea of time passing. Like, whenever there's a love interest and it, we're expected to believe it happens in a couple of days, I hardly ever buy it. But mm-hmm. this gave us a few months for things to play out, and I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that Voy- to Voyager it's only been a day, and, like, I, I like all that. But they cut back to the ship for a whole act, for a whole however long an act is, seven minutes, ten minutes, whatever, mm-hmm. and just gravimetric blah 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 and they weren't even bad scenes exactly like there was some okay character stuff and i wasn't it just the focus of the episode was clearly the characters on the planet and it's just cut back to explain and then get on with it is Mm -hmm, my thought and it kind of killed the momentum and that's a mild example of what i see as a huge problem for the show like it's whenever you have a fun idea it's like i said last week with the holodeck stuff I wish we'd had more Captain Proton and less explaining how Captain Proton works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just get on with it. I don't. I'll suspend my disbelief if you want me to. Just go. No, it, it, it feels like the like the writers are just fascinated with like like filling in all of that all of that how it works crap. Yeah, and it's but, just not necessary. Well, well because the no, the science is such nonsense anyway. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's actually going to make sense anyway. I think you needed it a little bit because it's it's kind of like a relativity thing. Like time is passing faster oh, yeah. here compared to there, and and we need to understand that for the story to make sense. Because mm-hmm. when we were on the planet, it felt like we've only been there for a day or two, and like why are they already falling in love? Or you know, she's learning English super fast and yeah. all that, and it didn't make sense. So that cleared that up. But yeah, they could have. It felt like they could have explained that in a much shorter amount of time and gotten back to the planet and had more right. interesting character development there. But on the other hand, we are watching an ensemble show where everyone gets paid to show up, and they probably wanted like to at least give an act to, you know, Kate Mulgrew who gets top billing mm-hmm. instead right. of just having it be the uh, the the Tim Russ and Robert Duncan McNeil show, <laughs> which makes sense. But you know. See, the thing is, though, with an ensemble, you're allowed to do that kind of thing occasionally. You know, like. It, it can't then, be every week, but occasionally you can do an episode that's just the uh, Paris and Tuvok show starring see, I, Paris and Tuvok and Lori I feel Petty. Like, I feel like that's the I feel like that's the way TV works now. But I think this is one of those things where in the like we're far enough away. We've said this before. We're we're twenty years on from this. Like I guess more like seventeen years in this mm. case. But where TV's changed enough, where back then I think the studio said, you know what, we're paying them for every episode. They're going to be in every, we're going to make yeah. them come to work. Maybe they that's got, why Neelix was in there for 15 yeah, exactly. seconds. <laughs> they got time to lean, they got time to clean. Like, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. We're not just paying them to hang around. <laughs> I could just, I could see somebody like Rick Berman saying that. Oh, yeah. I could absolutely see Rick Berman saying that every yeah. day to people who weren't even asking him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care for Rick Berman. Well, me neither. Read those books to find out. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> But you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, what was your good thing? Uh, what was my good thing? Oh, we should have talked about this when Bob talked about not liking the flashbacks. Oh, yeah. No, I like the, the Tuvok flashbacks quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the only thing I don't like about them is the uh, the cold open The uh, apparently tries to make us think that it's a big surprise that this is little Tuvok. Oh, yeah. The mm-hmm. end of the scene is dot, dot, dot. 
Tuvok. And I'm like, we know <laughs> we, one we know. black Vulcan, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're back on Vulcan. He's younger, so uh-huh. we can our brains can figure out this is the past. That's like, I'm not just. I, I am. I'm not going to assume <laughs> that this is a different black Vulcan. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'd like it for there to be more, but right Vulcan. now. I would yeah. like, yeah, no, I'd like that, but at right now it's like, eh, we have one. Yeah, and his like wife. Black exploitation film. Well, it was actually one of the super friends, so. <laughs> I thought that was Black Lightning. Uh, it was also Black Vulcan. It's oh. complicated. It, it could be both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But no, uh, I, I I thought they were I thought they were really well done. I thought they were interesting. I we don't get a, we don't know a whole lot about Tuvok's backstory, and finding this kind of stuff out is it, just interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like, and we talked about this when we were watching the episodes. I mean, I understand why they did it with Spock, where all the time he was losing his control for one reason or another. But with Tuvok, we get a proper, straight-up Vulcan who hardly ever loses it, mm-hmm. and we're expected to believe that they're on this planet for months and months. And so he opens up to Paris after being there for a long time and thinking he's going to be there for good. Mm-hmm. And we get a glimpse of like what's going on in his head. And I like that because it's mm-hmm. it's we're, we're five years into the show and he's finally letting his guard down for someone who isn't Janeway. And yeah, nice. Like, I like that. Yeah. And you could see the struggle like Tim Russ. We've said this a million times is great. Like he really thinks about this stuff. He really cares about what Vulcans are like. Mm-hmm. And he always, he's always adding suggestions to make it a little better and fit together better. And you can see the struggle. You can see, you know what? I do like her. I am fond of her, but that's not what my training says. And also, by the way, I have a wife. Uh-huh. So, yeah. You know. I did I did like that they did that kind of mind meld at the end for her mm-hmm. to understand, you know, what was going on with him. Absolutely. I, I know you had an objection about that, but. <sighs> it's just the overall mind meld thing not being consensual. He just walks up and says, here, I'm going to meld with you. All he had to say was, my people have a. <laughs> hey, I want to show you something. Yeah. My people have a custom. <laughs> let's join mine. And she could say, okay, that's it. Yep. But apart yeah. from that, I like that it happened. And that was his suggestion, actually. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah, I love I love that, and this is something you said earlier too. But I love that uh, Tuvok is just so into uh, not Tuvok. <laughs> Tim Russ is so into Tuvok's character. Yeah, yeah. That he's you know he actually has really good uh, suggestions. You know that have made it into. Oh, the Oh yeah, we see that in Memory Alpha just about every week. Yeah, where he's like, and they were gonna do this, and Tim Russ said, "Well, maybe my guy would do this," and they did that, and it yeah. worked better. Hey, he's like and the mere opposite of Robert Beltram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting reading the I've been reading the um not these are the words the other 50, one the 50, 50 year, year mission. mission. Thanks yeah, Matt. Yeah. That's yeah. your job. <laughs> and uh and it's interesting to see like, you know, the writers complaining about the actors coming in with ideas for their stuff, but then <laughs> the actors complaining about the writers not writing stuff for their characters and right. this, oh, this whole back and forth. And it's it's kind of interesting to to imagine like, you know, how how hard it must be to balance that. Like, oh, yeah. You know, trying to trying try to write for a certain thing, but then having the actor come in and say, well, my character wouldn't do that, or how about we do this other thing, and it kind of screws up the way you're trying to write your plot. And <laughs> well, and, and in particular with Tuvok, it's, to me, if you're going to write a classic race that was set up in the original series, mm-hmm. and nobody on your writing staff gives a fuck about the original series, mm-hmm. you're going to mess it up. And yeah. Tim Russ, like was a fan and knows how Vulcans are supposed to work. And a lot of his contributions were like, well, guys, have you actually seen a mock time? Cause that's not how it works. Yeah. Right. And so having someone to step in and say, I think the fans would appreciate it more if we did it this way. I'm yeah. Glad we don't watch there. Star Trek. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've said stuff like that. Yeah. What, a, no, what no, am I a nerd? <laughs> yeah. Um, Bob, what was your good thing? Uh, it's tank girl. Yeah. Yay. Um, I wrote here, too bad she was wasted, but I don't think that's really true. I, th- I think I wasn't <laughs> a bad man. Um, no, she was I, great. 
Yeah, I, I really liked her a lot. I actually, like, I somehow I missed the special guest star credit, Lori Petty, mm-hmm. and I just, like, uh, you know, we got a few minutes into it, I'm, and she's wearing this, like, I don't know what you call it, like almost like a burka kind of it's thing. It's a ninja mask. Just, just see her eyes and her eyebrows. Yeah, it's and, a, just a practical desert wrapping, like yeah. sandstorms, and you need to protect yourself. Right, and it's and I'm like, you know, those the eyes that really looks like Lori Petty. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it? It is. Oh yeah. So I was very excited about that. I I like her a lot as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know I I really liked, even though. I kind of felt like at the time, you know, watching it the first time, that the romance felt a little rushed. Um, yeah, I, I guess you know, and it, well, like if you watching hadn't it, on to the time thing. Yeah, yeah, watching it the second time, I kind of understand it better that there's that time differential thing. But mm-hmm. it's I really liked the way she played the romance and like you know slowly learning about you know these uh, Starfleet characters and and kind of coming to be friends with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just really liked the way she played it. Yeah, and at first you get kind of the Florence Nightingale thing where he's the one who rescued her and, and, right. and nursed her back to health. and But then you gradually see her like respecting him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just, oh, I was helpless and he helped me. It was way more than that. Mm-hmm. No, and it's also- a, for so little time, it's a really uh, uh, like, like it's a really well done relationship. Yeah, and yeah. we complain about this a lot where the love stories, because of the nature of episodic TV, you don't get the chance to really make it feel like it had any time to grow mm-hmm. and here we did mm-hmm. because of a sci-fi trick which is fine mm-hmm. it's a simple sci-fi <laughs> trick sci-fi tr- <laughs> i i think her relationship with paris actually comes like the friendship with between her and paris actually works really well too yeah there's a great scene where they're out hunting and oh uh, yeah hunting big spiders hunting giant spiders yeah well not giant spiders well i mean yeah, you couldn't yeah. ride one but no <laughs> there aren't people running around screaming they're, go packers woo they're yeah. beefy enough to eat <laughs> yeah beefy but um no it's a great no it's a great scene she's great in it it is there's a there's a pit there's a bit where she's slowly learning the language and they're telling her about themselves and he's explaining about balana and you could see i don't know if it was in the script or if robert duncan mcneil chose to play it this way yeah but she's like do you do you love her and there's a hesitation and you it's almost like the old tom would have said yeah no so he could hook up with her but this tom (laughs) Has grown up enough where he's like, you know what? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm sorry. I am not available. Which is why he spends all of his time trying to get Tuvok to have sex with her. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is your bad thing. (laughs) Which is my bad thing. Tom gets really shitty to Tuvok. Like, they've been on this planet. I say 10 minutes. They've been on the planet a couple of months, though. Mm -hmm. And all he's doing is like, Tuvok, you got to leave your wife for Tank Girl. Go have sex with Tank Girl. (laughs) Have you seen Tank Girl? It's a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't. uh, That's some season one shit, Paris. Jesus. Yeah, that felt really like almost out of character for the uh, how emotionally he has grown recently. It yeah, was just like, like he was kept banging on him about it for there was like a three minute scene where he's just yeah. like arguing with Tuvok about like, well, no, you have to abandon your wife because we're never going to see them again. It's like, well, if that's the case, then why don't you go after her? Because we're never going to see Blana again. Either. Also, yeah, exactly. This, and I mean, isn't like, this the situation we've been in on Voyager this whole time? Yeah, exactly. Like Tuvok's been, you know, Tuvok's been faithful to his wife for four years now. What's another couple of months going to matter? Like. Yeah. But even if they think they're there forever, they also kind of think Voyager's in space for 75 years. Like, he, yeah, exactly. he's prepared for that. So, right. Like, you, I mean, other than there being a ship, this doesn't really change anything. Right. So, no, fucking settle that. down, on Tom. Don't hand, be gross. On the other <laughs> hand, like, dramatically speaking, there's, there's mm-hmm. two reasons why that didn't bother me so much. Like, yeah, it was a little too much, but I get why they did it. One, mm-hmm. because Tuvok's such an understated character, it's 
hard to really show what's going on in his head unless you have someone bringing it into conflict. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And two, there is a rich Star Star Trek tradition of a human laying it on way too thick to a Vulcan. <laughs> come on, come on, feel something. Come on, come on, do it. Eh, eh. You know what I mean? And I, like, yeah, maybe they overplayed it, but it definitely felt like the way Kirk or Bones would needle Spock. Not not mm. done as well, but de- no. definitely that. Like Bones would totally overplay his hand sometimes. Like you know, he yeah. wasn't as emotional about a thing as he pretended to be in front of Spock because he really wanted to get a reaction out of him. And well, he I just liked like, annoying Spock. Like that was well, their friendship. Course. Yeah, but that had like always had this element of playfulness. You know, like it kind uh, of right, like, trickled right. to his eye. Whereas this just felt mm-hmm. like Tom was being shitty. No, no, I know. Uh, no, my main argument is the first thing, which is <laughs> I just feel like dramatically it only works if you have someone. Like the devil yeah. on the shoulder yeah. to that, pop up and say, come on, see. why don't you fuck I am evil Homer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, they overplayed it, but I understand why they did it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you guys, but I still see why, you know, I understand. All right. Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, anything else before we press forward? Let's see. Let me just have a look at my notes. Oh, uh, yeah. I, um, I thought that, uh, well... I, after years of hearing this word, finally looked up anaprovaline because the doctor <laughs> is always like, mm. you know, 20 cc's of anaprovaline. And it's like, it seems like this miracle cure all, uh, <laughs> like, you know, 24th century snake oil or something. And uh, um, <laughs> looking it up in memory alpha, it's like, yeah, it does. They, they prescribe it for everything. I think, so it's interesting. I think it's just this era's uh, cordrazine. Mm. That's oh, what yeah. they used in the right. original series all the time for everything. Because <laughs> we had the we had uh, uh, City on the Edge of Forever where Bones accidentally injected himself with cordrazine and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so it's some kind of crazy stimulant thing, right? But assassins, yeah. But then sometimes they'd use it as a as an anesthetic, and sometimes they would use it as like an antibiotic or something, right? Like, who knows? <laughs> sometimes it's a suppressant. Sometimes yeah. it's uh, for uh, anti-inflammatory. <laughs> just <laughs> like, it's okay. It's just a show. You should really just relax. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Um, um, before we get off, I want to talk about the aliens in this a little bit. Okay. And, like, the, the, so there's a bunch of aliens running around on the planet, too. They're supposed to be, like, the, you know, the bad guy aliens that, you know, our guys are fighting other, against. Other dudes that have crashed there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, makeup design is good. Um, the makeup application is not. Yeah. Like, it really looks like you, like, you want to talk, like, I've seen some bumpy heads in my time. Um. Oh, but no, and just, I'm, you know, I'm the first one to rush in and say, oh, thank goodness, it's just not another, like, three dots on the forehead. They yeah. put some work into this one. Yeah. No, I can see what they were trying to do, and they were really trying to do something different, I think, but, like, the application of it just looks like they're, like, they're all wearing helmets. Like, you can weirdly <laughs> see, like, like Their the normal human, human underneath on, yeah. peering, yeah, yeah like, peering out of the face. What? It's weird. You only... You only either quickly saw them in a fight or they were like, you know, some long distance thing. So I think they were trying to, you know, save money on this show that was otherwise expensive because they had to go out and do location shooting. Well, yeah. And they also have 12. I was saying earlier, they have like 12 guys running around on the planet trying to kill <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, near so. the end at the at the, the big climactic thing, there were, there were a whole bunch of them swarming around. And like I was impressed. And I didn't know if it was digital trickery or if they actually hired mm. like 10 or 12 guys. But either way, it was uh, maybe. nice. It's yeah, nice in Star Trek when they say the army's advancing and you see three guys like, what? hello, <laughs> we are the army. <laughs> they, they filled up the screen. There were a bunch of guys for a change. It was nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it could have been because like maybe that was they did have 10 or 12 guys and they just needed something they could do quickly. 
Yeah. yeah. And that's maybe why it didn't look as good as it could have. I mean, if they hadn't spent so much time on them, it would have been fine. But there's a scene where one of them is just talking to Janeway on the uh, on the oh, view screen. Yeah. And we get an extreme close up on him. Mm, and all true. I can think is, hello, I can see you under there. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the cheap rubber band at the back of your mask. <laughs> yep. Quit putting your tongue in the uh, slit. It's maddening. <laughs> it's maddening. <laughs> no, he had to uh, keep, quit putting his weird ROM single tooth into the slit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, brother. This is my okay. one big tooth. All right, we need to push forward. Um, All right. My quote is entirely out of context, but it made me laugh. I've been brushing up on sinkholes. All right. <laughs> Just Janeway talking about sinkholes. <laughs> hey, have you, heard about, you ever heard about sinkholes? There's actually a scene in the next episode where she just weirdly, if you took it out of context, would be like, what, what's that about? <laughs> but we'll talk Sink about holes. <laughs> Bob, tell us, please, won't you, about Bliss. All right. Well, uh, the tease consists of old man yells at clouds, so you know it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on the uh, Voyager, the crew has found a wormhole that leads straight back to sector ZZ1 plural Z alpha. That's right. Straight to Earth. How convenient. A little too convenient and perfect, and no, of course there's nothing fishy about this at all, Seven. Why don't you go take a nap? Starfleet has promised us, promised us that the uh, wormhole is safe, and Chakotay's going to get a pardon, and I'm going to marry my puppies, and even the bar rodent is getting an ambassadorship. That'd be a good Borgen right along. It's fine. Well, it turns out it's not fine, and Seven finds the little ship with that crazy old dude from the teaser. Turns out being a Klingon warden on Rurapente was just a dream, and this guy's real name is Ahab. Shut up. Yes, it is. <laughs> so Seven, the Doctor, Ahab, and Naomi Wildman are the only people immune to whatever the hell is going on, which is basically a giant Venus flytrap that eats spaceships and shows you your greatest heart's desire to lure you in. To lure you in. Pretty much everyone else on the ship falls unconscious from bliss overload, and Seven and Ahab save the day by lighting Voyager's farts and making the Venus flytrap vomit them up. Good times. It's actually, it just <laughs> occurred to me, this is the exact opposite of the despair squid from Red Dwarf. I suppose it is. You were originally comparing it to Better Than Life from Red Dwarf. Yeah, I've been thinking about Red Dwarf a lot lately. I think I might need to rewatch it. Hmm. Well, there's a new series out now, so. Yeah, I don't know if I have to go that far. I don't watch that. I've seen <laughs> one of them, and it's kind of sad. I can probably uh, stop it uh, right before they go to prison. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Bob's like, uh -huh. I, I don't know sure. anything about Red yep. Dwarf. So are probably most of our audience. That's okay. <laughs> we like it. <laughs> it's really good. I should not have enjoyed this episode. Like, it's one of those, oh, uh, boy, really? everyone's. Well, I, I shouldn't have. It's no. Like, by concept. <laughs> it's another one. It's not quite possession, but everyone's acting weird. Everyone's they, being they, crazy except one person. Pulled it off right. I love this episode. Really? You yeah. loved it? Yep. Okay. Well, I did. Tell us why. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's just. We were we were talking about it when we viewed the uh, the episode before the recording here, but that you were pointing out that they like made it very believable that everyone was acting in a believable way, and it wasn't just that you know they had taken over their minds and they were acting in crazy unbelievable ways. It was they were showing them what they really wanted, and everyone's still acting as themselves, mm -hmm. but no, they all they're just these so elaborate... consumed by this 
this like oh my god we're gonna get to earth yeah yeah and everything else kind of goes out the window because they're so obsessed with that idea yeah no, no, the it's way the not, human it, mind works is it constructs these elaborate like um justifications for things mm-hmm. and you can you can convince yourself of a lot of things that you're acting sensibly even when you're not and yeah. that's more how they played it which i liked it's mm-hmm. a nice change from like the whole invasion of the body snatchers type yeah. thing we're going home yeah <laughs> although janeway played it a little like she was smiling the whole episode mm-hmm. Just yeah, big old grin, but it worked. But my but my big good thing was that uh, just Seven and Naomi Wildman <laughs> is the best pairing that I had never expected. Yep, they are so good together. We've been saying that all season, but this is your first time on when that's been, yeah. when that's happened. So absolutely, yep. yeah. I'm just I'm just so thrilled to see them together the way they interact. No, and uh, like and there's the one point where. Uh, Seven's like you know no you need to just like you know go sit down and and be a good girl and, and Naomi is like well no I want to help two heads are better than one right that's the Borg philosophy isn't it it's like <laughs> ah, all right you, you got, got me, me. <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah that's what I am always saying mm-hmm. yeah right she's just so great yeah no Naomi Wildman is basically the the number one character find of 2016 <laughs> well I mean Seven was the new character previous season and we quite liked her it seems mm-hmm. like every time they add somebody new that's mm-hmm. the one they're focusing on and they kind of ignore the rest of them apparently yeah <laughs> which is the bad part of that but the good part is they tend to be good characters and it's fun so mm-hmm. you know. yeah i i we 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 are well on the record and we will continue i mean i'm speaking for you matt but i don't think i'm going out on a limb here mm-hmm. that we fully endorse this partnership yep <laughs> as long as it, it keeps could... being this good yeah <laughs> And I like you that you call her child man. Yeah, the child that's Matt's. man. <laughs> that, that, I totally love that. The wee baby child man is, I think, Matt's full name yes. for her. <laughs> nice. I like, there's a bit where um, Seven's fighting off the, the blissed out crewman, and she's got them behind a force field, and uh, Naomi's got to decide, am I going to go with the guys I know are in charge, or am I going to go with my friend who's probably right? Mm-hmm. And Seven just very firmly says, look at me. Listen to me. Mm-hmm. Push this button, this button, this button, and this button. Go. And Naomi just like in most like the the way that would usually play on most TV shows is like, ah, I'm six. I don't know. That's too much. Mm-hmm. But this kid totally is just like, you know what? This grown up trusts me to do this thing. I'm going to do it right because I don't I want her to be proud of me. Yep. And she plays it that way. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I really like that. I will oh. say this. This episode would have benefited heavily from having uh, Mama Wildman in it instead of in like that Chakotay role. <laughs> Yeah, you know when they're looking, they're looking for her, and Chakotay's like, "Naomi, come over here. That's an yeah, order. That's, you work that for been me." Much apparently. more powerful. You're right, but uh, yeah, I don't know if she could have overcome that. That's mm-hmm. true too. <laughs> Plus, you got to give Chuck something to do. Apparently, uh, why he doesn't want to do anything? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I we were talking about this, and it would be interesting to me. I don't want them to do this because I think it's a little too sad for this show. Mm-hmm. But if they killed off um, Chakotay, well, they're not doing that. I know that, that. would be looks- sad. I, well, I, <laughs> Harry, then we're good. Like, you stop there. No, um, uh, I don't remember Ensign Wildman's uh, first name. Oh, God, no, neither do I. No, I just think Me Naomi neither. every time because yeah. that's the, the, her mom. Yeah. Like, if they killed her off and Naomi was basically raised by the crew, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I would like that in some ways. But on the other hand, I'm so engaged in this character now, I don't want her mom to die. I, uh, t- yeah. I feel like killing her mom would be a little too easy yeah, like, exactly. We're already seeing her raised by the crew and just with her mom alive. And That's I think true. it's working out really well. Yeah. yeah. Like every time we see anyone interacting with her, it's like this weird, like, 
everyone's got like this weird fondness and like ownership of this kid as like the ship's kid. No, there's mm-hmm. a scene with her and Paris, and Paris is good with her too. Yeah. Like, pretty much everyone they've paired her up with so far suddenly just sort of softens and turns on their, their kid mode mm-hmm. and does it well. And I, yeah. I, I kind of like the idea that everyone on the ship sort of simultaneously realized, oh, this kid has no one to hang out with. We need to sort of like. Right. But also, we've talked about this a little before, too. If they really are going to take 75 years to get home, she's just the first. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that is true. There's going to be a lot more before you get home. Mm-hmm. And who knows, by the time it gets to Earth, it might mostly be <laughs> that next generation of kids doing that. Yeah, so, I'm surprised uh, there aren't more of them yet. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, you said next generation kids, and all I can think of is the baby is the young Picard. Yeah, from Rascals, of course. <laughs> He's my number one dad. Duh. No, thank you. <laughs> this is what this is what Patrick Stewart sounds like. I'm the king of radishes. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a different kid altogether. <laughs> different kid altogether. Um, Matt, what was your good thing? I love the giant space monster because it's me. Yeah. Um. Very uh, big cloud monster that shoots lightning, but uh, I just, I love, I mean, you know, this goes back to the Doomsday Machine, my favorite episode of Star Trek. Uh, I love giant space monsters. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's one of my favorite tropes ever. Hi, you're Matt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it it was a space cloud that shot lightning, but it also had teeth and it also had tentacles. Like, it kind of threw in everything and it worked. (laughs) A little bit of everything, (laughs) yeah. And uh, And then you're inside of it and it's got inside tentacles and more lightning right but i mean you were kind of in its digestive tract so mm. it makes sense that there'd be weird little like cilia or whatever like, well i mean that is that that is how digestion works is that your body shoots lightning at the food you ate mm. uh-huh. tentacles and lightning very very frightening galileo i was, <laughs> I was just picturing a tiny little palpatine like breaking up my throat <laughs> no 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 <laughs> you will die <laughs> My good thing, I kind of like stories where everyone's acting stupid, like in a typical Star Trek episode, but Seven's immune to the stupidity. (laughs) Like, her main superpower is the ability to avoid stupid Star Trek bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I say that as a huge fan of Star Trek, but there's a lot of bullshit that the standard Starfleet crew Mm. endures, and Mm -hmm. she just, nope. I love the the sort of the image of her taking a phaser rifle to dumb Star Trek bullshit. Oh, yeah, Balana, (laughs) she's just like, hey, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That actually kind of ties into my bad thing mm. is that oh, yeah. that I found it hard to suspend disbelief that e- even if they were seeing exactly what they wanted to see, that Tuvok at least or someone wouldn't stop for a moment and say, "Hey, Seven is a valued member of this crew. Maybe we should stop for a moment and see what her concerns are about." Mm. And I, but I don't know. Kind of on, on the second viewing, I saw that like when there is that moment with Tuvok, he almost. There's like a hesitation in in his performance. Like he almost wants to like stop and consider her concerns, but he's it's just like too powerful. Yeah, this like concept of you know finally getting home and right. But it, it was very subtle. No, I I get it, and that might have just been in the performance and not in the script. Yeah, yeah, it might not have. Like, it might be one of those Tim Russ things. Yeah. Well, I think like one thing we don't see enough that like. You know, you sort of have to keep in your mind is like how badly Tuvok actually wants to get back to his family. Oh, he! I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen he's good with kids. He clearly loves his wife. Yeah. Like, and we get a moment where he thinks he's reunited with her. And <laughs> the poor woman who plays his wife, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure it's still the same one. But they call her every year or two to put on the full makeup and costume and show, stand there and 
touch Tuvok's fingers for a second. Yeah, so they and, can okay. boop fingers. <laughs> and that's it. Okay. We'll, we'll have some kind of dream or flashback or time travel thing in another two years. So stay by the phone. Yep. I don't know. That was that sounds like a pretty easy paycheck to me. Yeah, but it's very sporadic. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm... It's not, you know... Like, okay... <laughs> We're not going to do this for years and years, but then we're going to call you and put you through all this crap just to stand. And she's like, no, it's fine. I can hit the con circuit as Tuvok's wife. Oh, undoubtedly. Now, when you were playing Tuvok's wife for three seconds in that one episode. (laughs) Right. Yeah, but this is basically how uh, Chief O'Brien started out, right? That is true. You have one line at the transporter. Yeah, but it's a little harder to make her a recurring character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unless they actually get back home. I don't know. On this show, this should just be a hologram or something. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with a hologram. I know what yeah. that's like. Hey, no holodeck for two episodes in a row. No wonder I like yeah, I'll call that a win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so sick of the holodeck. <laughs> like, they didn't even hang out in one. No. Just none. Nope. No French bars. No. No. No Luau. fucking piece of shit fan. <laughs> God, you hate that fan so much. <laughs> Why don't you rotate some more, you stupid fan? <laughs> um, my, I, I was going to rotate up my a... ass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Harsh words. <laughs> <laughs> My good thing was gonna be Matt's ass. No, it was gonna be uh, uh, W. Morgan Shepard is the actor's name. Yes, oh, I love that guy. And, and uh, Bob alluded to the fact that he was the prison warden in Star Trek Six. Yep. Yeah, this is the Gulag Rarapente and so forth. He's the guy I was talking about. This. He's like every voice actor wishes they could do an effective grizzled sort of old I've seen everything guy mm-hmm. and it always sounds like a young guy doing that voice he's just got that voice yeah mm-hmm. and everyone who plays that kind of character wishes they could just sound like that naturally and he just does yep oh man I would just listen to that guy do soliloquies all day long yeah he's I mean, great it's, it's a half half his acting but a half his nicotine shredded voice I think <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he's been in a bunch of other Star Trek stuff, too. He was in a Next Gen episode. He was actually in... Oh, the, really? Yeah. He was in the... Oh God, I, I had the episode, and I've forgotten it again. It's uh, Dr. Oh, Ira Graves. Where Data... Yeah, did someone like pos- maybe possesses Data's Data. He crawls or, yeah. inside of Data. Yeah, whatever. Right. Um, but then there's uh, in uh, the, the first Abrams movie, the Council of Vulcans that uh, Spock says, live long and prosper to rhyme with fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're like... Are you just showing off to this council to, to express your human emotions? Oh, was that him? Yeah, that was him. Oh. Why do you love emotions so much, Spock? Yeah. So, <laughs> like, setting up Spock's first big cool moment, basically. <laughs> Live but yeah, that was prosper. that was him up there. He's He's been all over Star Trek, and it's great. And I love him. But my bad thing is he's great, mm-hmm. but his makeup is kind of terrible, kind it's, of extremely terrible. It's the same <laughs> thing as the other one. Again, again you can see the dude... It, it looks like a dude wearing a mask almost. Well, Bob pointed out it looked like he didn't want to shave his beard, so they tried to work around that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old Cesar Romero. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Only on my cheeks and forehead. Yep. Yeah. And, and you could tell because it looked like he was like the bat cowl. <laughs> it looked like he had like the top half of his of his head was an alien, but the rest of it was just his face. <laughs> it's like he skinned an alien and then wore it. <laughs> <laughs> like a hat. Yes. This Can is my alien hat. so yeah but i i loved him he Mm -hmm. was great and i wish they hadn't there was a bit where the doctor actually says ahab and Mm -hmm. i wish they hadn't like okay star trek and moby dick again yeah but if they just left it like it already has that undertone you don't need to say it it's already just there you know there are weeks when i wish that star trek had read more than one book (laughs) (laughs) oh no they 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 also read les miserables Uh uh-huh that's true no only deep space nine read uh, les mis 
Right. No, Bob correctly points out the Tale of Two Cities. That was in uh, Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. All right. Three yep. books. Peter Pan. And Peter Pan. Oh, yeah. So Available at your local library. <laughs> the movies are the ones that read the books. All yeah. the shows. Just yeah. Seem it's all Nicholas Meyer, I think, actually. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, he is an author, so. And and a bunch of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have read a bunch of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Shakespeare. You know, Matt, Matt's favorite thing. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've outed you, Matt. You hate Al, that's not true at all. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, his makeup, unfortunately, like, I... I mostly just wanted to close my eyes and listen to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't look great. Oh, man. He should do like a... Well, he should read Moby Dick. Yeah. You're, oh, you're absolutely. That yeah. would be great. Or do the uh, finish that unfinished Orson Welles project where he stands in front of a blue screen and reads Moby Dick. <laughs> Is that C for cake? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that was actually a project that, that he... There's footage of it. Really? Of him just... Standing in front of a blue screen with the book, <laughs> reading Moby Dick to you. <laughs> I don't know what they were going to project. Oh my god! But, okay, but they were. <laughs> that was a thing. <laughs> I love Orson Welles. <laughs> I know you do, sweetie. We built a, we built a podcast on it. <laughs> I know. Uh, Matt, what was your bad thing? Always. Uh, I thought it took way too long to get to the sort of the meat of the episode, which was like you know the actual hunting of the big monster. It like it took a lot of acts and. I'm just sitting here like, okay, I get it. Everyone is affected except for Seven. Get on with it. I get you, but on the other hand, where does the story go after they fight the monster? They can't fight the monster for half an hour. I know you want that, but the audience does not want that. They should throw spears at it. <laughs> I just, like. I was at least... Or maybe pleased. there's another bigger monster inside of the monster that they oh, can fight for a while. Oh, there you go. It's like Russian nesting monster. Yeah. Wait, it's bigger on the inside? Yes. <laughs> yes. Inside each know. monster is a bigger monster. <laughs> That makes total sense. I know. <laughs> it's a fractal monster. Yeah. Wow. Um, did I blow your mind? Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, that's Neelix. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, see, this is Brandon Braga. This is Neelix. They're different. <laughs> oh, no, my mind. You see, this is Hank Hill. This is Tom Anderson. <laughs> They're different. Um, I, no, I, I did at least like that they didn't present it as a mystery. Like, the audience knew what was yeah. going on. And I feel like if you're going to have a story where the characters don't know what's going on, quit doing the mystery thing. I've complained about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Ha- let us in and let them be clueless. And at least they did it th- that way this time. And that annoyed me a lot less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I prefer that. And I-, I-, I get what you're saying, Matt. I just don't know where the story would go if you made that reveal in like the second or third act. Mm-hmm. No, you're entirely right, which is why it should have more monster fighting. Fair. I want to they- see-, see Seven actually pick up and, and uh, fight the real the giant monster. You actually want to see her cannon be a chest. Or uh, yes. One. Strike that. Reverse it. <laughs> if her chest was a cannon. Or two cannons, I suppose. <laughs> we were all thinking it. Oh, dear. Uh, Bob, what was... No, you already said your bad thing. I did. Yes. I have another bad thing. Okay. Well, yeah, there, were, there were more than one bad thing. What, do you, what else you got? I thought it was weird that Janeway was able to just send an EM pulse to the station that Seven was at and electrocute her. Because that's the thing you want to do to your crew members all the time. I think it's seven. I think they still don't trust seven. I just like they they have a, a button a, a shock seven button. She's got a shock collar. That makes me so sad. Seven's been around a while now. Yeah, really? it's been like two years. It feels like they should trust her at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But and but honestly, they only own, they only don't trust her when it's convenient for the story. I was yeah. about to say that. Yeah, yeah. it depends on whether the story needs it or not. I mean, and if you have someone they don't trust, seven's the like. Like, if you have the ranking of who they 
trust the most and the least. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The story needs someone for them not to trust. Well, she's the one, I guess. Yeah. Mm. But on the other hand, I will say, she can look at the captain's private logs just by <laughs> oh, yeah. pulling an isolinear chip out of the wall. That's all it took. <laughs> just, just one chip. One, just, uh, those records Yoink. are classified. Oh, yeah? Yoink. <laughs> I feel like Seven figured that out the first week she was there just to see if she could do it. Yeah. <laughs> but they could have, I don't know. I Like, I don't want to see her hack the mainframe or whatever. But the, What about gleaming the just... cube? Do you want to see that? <laughs> I kind of do. <laughs> she probably did that when she was a Borg. Uh-huh. Probably oh gleaming God. the cube all the time. <laughs> well, so you can't. Nice. If you don't gleam the cube, the Borg, uh, it, it, the, the ship looks awful musty. I'm pretty sure gleaming the cube was 80s. Was it? I'm pretty sure. I'm I pretty sure know. that was a very young Christian Slater. I, but was I, never I thought Gleaming the Cube was in Hackers. I mean, there might have been a thing they said in Hackers, mm. but I know the, <laughs> like, when I worked at a video store, we had a movie called Gleaming the Cube, which was about uh, skateboarding guys. Well, no, that sucks. We had Skaters a movie that was just called. called Cube, and it was really <laughs> skateboarding good. Skateboarding guys. <laughs> skateboarding guys. Yeah, that's what they're called, right? <laughs> yeah. Skateboard guys. Yeah, 1989. <laughs> it's got a very young Christian Slater in it. Do they have skateboards in the future, Mr. Roddenberry? <laughs> uh, we took the wheels off, mostly because I wanted to steal from Back to the Future. <laughs> well, that's just a hoverboard, then. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. I love your Gene Roddenberry. Matt. <laughs> that's kind of what he sounds like, is the thing. Yep. Matt's impressions aren't always entirely spot on, but that one, definitely. <laughs> if you want to know the secret, they're usually just impressions of other people's impressions. Yeah. Nice. And then you say their name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Captain Picard. Uh, exactly. I'm Gene Roddenberry. You keep turning him into a Wookiee. Yes. I don't know. Wookiee the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) I'd watch that. I would probably watch that also. Indeed. T Wookiee. And uh, Fozzie is Han Solo. (laughs) That feels like you should strike that reverse. I disagree. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, anything else? Like, that's basically all I had. We're, uh, um, let's see. Yeah, I had okay, the, the one thing that I liked, uh, and we pointed this out, it happens maybe when there's uh, a red alert, uh, that the lighting in the ship changes, and the lighting in the ship was changed for this, and practically this entire episode. It was, like, kind of darker and more yeah. contrasty, and it just, it looked more filmic. It looked great, and the ship should look like that every week instead of the flat, bland lighting that it usually has. Mm. And, I mean, it's still, it's still, like, even the normal lighting on Voyager is better than, the, like, the flat, bland lighting of the first couple of seasons of Next Gen. Oh, it's still oh, yeah. bland. How did you feel about the way they lit the uh, Enterprise D in Generations? Like, I liked it and nobody else did. I, I almost thought they went a little too dark in Generations. Yeah, no, I agree. And then they pulled it back just a little bit in First Contact. That mm-hmm. was the next one, right? Yeah, but that was the E, so it was kind of a different. Like, what I liked yeah. about the D was, like, it was the thing we saw on TV, but now it looked different on the screen. Kind yeah, of. I did I did like it. I liked okay. it better, but it was, no, I remember, it was like almost too dark. I remember kind of debating. I know, Matt, you you weren't a fan, and whoever we had on as a guest for that movie I think it was also Flunk, was now that I think about yeah. it. No, it might have been Brian, because I think Flunk came on for First Contact. You might be right. Mm-hmm. But whoever it was, I know I was alone in actually liking that. Mm. And you guys didn't. And I was just curious since you said. Yeah. <laughs> and it made me sad and I cried. And I liked I liked at least, you know, it, you know, show show the shape with the light and show, you know, have have contrast. And it's well, there's such a house style and it's such a generic bland yeah. style that everyone wants to look like the other guys. Mm-hmm. And they don't really experiment too much. So yeah. whenever they do, I'm always happy. The lighting is so flat normally. I yeah. like that's one of the things I loved about Battlestar Galactica. You know, when Ron Moore went on to do that, it was like it was very contrasty, and you get a lot of like drama from just the lighting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And here it's 
Well, yeah, actually, not. when everyone was in their weird bliss comas, we did like a, a Nexus thing. And I, they might have even used the same music or very similar music cues as they used in Generations. You had that sort of sparkly, like everyone's happy and it just feels sort of dreamlike. Mm hmm. And they did the washed out lighting like they do when uh, Cisco was inside the. Oh, the, yeah. There was uh, kind of a bloom effect on the highlights and yeah. that sort of thing. And I, I kind of like that also. And maybe that's why they made it so dark so they could contrast with when things got super bright. Like it made more of a of an impact. Mm, you yeah, see everything dark and be. then see everything very bright. Because the lighting was definitely different in those scenes, too. It was back to a right. little bit of the flat lighting, but then they had that effect on top of it, too. It's right. kind of like when I worked on. Um, Digging for the truth, we did that kind of effect for some of the recreations where it was just like kind of a blurred version added to the regular non-blurred version. Mm -hmm. So it's you kind of get that bloom in the highlights. And yeah, that makes sense. It's a cheap way to make it look different. Right. It's a simple actress trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a note here that they were trying to recreate Harry's workstation, and I said you could do that with one of those Fisher Price activity sets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the little steering wheel and the lever and all that stuff. I'm calling Daddy. <laughs> Uh, anything else? Uh, I think that's everything. I'm good. Cool Bonnie monster. Uh, I do. There was a lovely little mo moment at the end where uh, Seven and Naomi were talking about Earth. Naomi Wildman. Don't worry, my presence here is authorized. By whom? Mom. She thinks I need to learn more about Earth. I see. And does studying this image increase your desire to go there? Not really. I concur. It is unremarkable. Yeah, I like that. I like that Seven finally has a I don't give a fuck about Earth. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she was alone there for quite some time. Yeah. Yep. And they've. I, I really enjoy that. I really, like, it could have been a lazy way for her to suddenly start remembering being human or something. And I like that they've chosen to have a character who said... I don't care about going back to Earth because I'm not really yeah. from Earth and I don't care. Yeah, I was born on the ship. I don't care. Yeah, so they'll they'll like, be setting up the He-Man Earth Haters Club any day now. <laughs> <laughs> no Earthlings allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, anything else? Uh no. Very well, uh, Bob. Anything you want to mention? Plug? Yeah, today? sure. I'm Do still you? still working on my podcast. It's mm -hmm. called The Optical, and it's uh, kind of about the history of visual effects and film technology, and uh, we did a cool thing uh, recently actually about Star Trek. Uh, the new version of Star Trek was released in this uh, wide surround film format called uh, Barco Escape, and I talked to the guys who were working on that format. This was Beyond, right? Uh, yeah, Star Trek Beyond. Yep. Mm. Um, so you can listen to that and all the other episodes at OpticalPodcast.com. Awesome. All right. Uh, next week, we will show you another one. I believe one of them is like dark some damn thing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like Hack the Matrix. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Prax. Does Seven get to wear a leather coat? Probably. And probably there's someone called Prax or mm -hmm. something. Prax. <laughs> all right. That's all for now. All right, see you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2016. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this.